0: Join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word, to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, as we do that today. My prayer is that you would find us receptive to what you have to say there, that you would find us obedient to what you have to say there. We lift this time up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how many of you have ever had to put together a resume. Have you ever had to put together a resume for a job application? Yeah, resumes. A resume is a tough thing because you don't want to sound too grandiose, but at the same time you want to you know, hone in on those things that you think will catch the employer's, prospective employer's eye. Uh, sometimes in, uh, in college, uh, or as in high school, as students are preparing to go to college, the college will ask them to kind of write a little summary of their experience and things that might be helpful. So I want to read to you one student's um, response. Here was the question. In order for the admissions staff of our college to get to know you, the applicant, better, we ask that you answer the following question. Are there any significant experiences you have had or accomplishments you have realized that have helped define you as a person? So here was the response. I am a dynamic figure, often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. (laughs) I have been known to remodel train stations on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the area of heat retention. I translate ethnic slurs for Cuban refugees. I write award-winning operas. I manage my time efficiently. Occasionally, I tread water for three days in a row. I can pilot bicycles up severe inclines with unflagging speed and I cook 30-minute brownies in 20 minutes. I am an expert in stucco, a veteran in love, and an outlaw in Peru. Using only a hoe and a large glass of water, I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon basin from a horde of ferocious army ants. I play bluegrass cello, I was scouted by the Mets, I am the subject of numerous documentaries. When I'm bored, I build large suspension bridges in my yard. I enjoy urban hang gliding. On Wednesdays, after school, I repair electrical appliances free of charge. I am an abstract artist, a concrete analyst, and a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. I don't perspire. I am a private citizen, yet I receive fan mail. I have been caller number nine and have won the weekend passes. Last summer, I toured New Jersey with a traveling centrifugal force demonstration. I bat 400. My deft floral arrangements have earned me fame in international botany circles. Children trust me. I can hurl tennis rackets at small moving objects with deadly accuracy. I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day and still had time to refurbish an entire dining room that evening. I know the exact location of every food item in the supermarket. I have performed several covert operations with the CIA. I sleep once a week. When I do sleep, I sleep in a chair. While on vacation in Canada, I successfully negotiated with a group of terrorists who had seized a small bakery. I balance, I weave, I dodge, I frolic, and my bills are all paid. On weekends, to let off steam, I participate in full-contact origami. Years ago, I discovered the meaning of life, but forgot to write it down. I have made extraordinary four-course meals using only a toaster oven. I breed prize-winning clams. I have won bullfights in San Juan, cliff-diving competitions in Sri Lanka, and spelling bees at the Kremlin. I have played Hamlet, I have performed open-heart surgery, and I have spoken with Elvis. But I have not yet gone to college. (laughs) Not all resumes or applications are like that. But the fact is that most of the time we try to make the best impression. To try to put our best side of ourselves forward on that side of the resume. But we all know that we have another side to the resume a side we like to keep hidden and away from public view because it's kind of ugly. And so what's going to happen this morning in our passage is Jesus is going to take his pet problem child, Peter, and he's going to explore that other side of the resume. And in doing so, he's going to show us that it's precisely because you and I, we have an ugly side to our resume, that he, Jesus, makes his way to the cross. This requires us to accept this reality that you and I, we have an ugly side to our resume. So, the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 this morning, I'm going to start reading at verse 27 and read down through verse 31. If you're going to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1580. And what we're doing starting this week is we're going to begin kind of a slow motion ride towards Easter. Because this week in the Gospel of Mark, which is just really a week that we're going to spread out over several weeks, but this week is what we call the Passion Week or Holy Week. It's it's Jesus setting his mind towards the events that are going to take place on Monday, Thursday evening at the Last Supper and on Good Friday at the Cross and on Sunday morning at the Resurrection. So this is kind of the beginning of that slow-motion ride. Jesus is speaking. Verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically... Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. The first thing Jesus does here in this passage with Peter, and Peter, I love Peter. I love Peter for, for a lot of reasons. One is that he reminds me of me a lot. He kind of, you know, asserts things that he even he knows aren't likely... Uh, for him to follow through on. but he, So what Jesus does first here is he acknowledges the reality of the other side of the resume. Do you see what Peter has said? He has said, I'm with you. I'm going to die with you. Even if all these other clowns disappear, I'm with you to the end. But Jesus says, not so fast, Batman. It's not true. You have a another side to your resume. Now, in this passage... Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Zechariah to underscore God's sovereign plan. He says, you know, I, I'm at work to fulfill the Father's plan here. The shepherd must be struck down uh, for, the, for the people to, to have this opportunity to embrace new life. But, but it's also important in this passage for you and me to see our limitations and our need. Otherwise, we try to make it on our own. We often go by what I like to call every-man theology, every-person theology. I'm a nice guy. I haven't been too bad. On balance, my resume is okay. It's not like I'm a mass murderer or anything. I'm not, you know, committing crimes against the state. I'm not, um, I'm not avoiding paying in... Well, let me not do that one. Um, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not committing any kind of, you know, state or federal crimes. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not balanced. I'm not bad. And you and I, we, we do this math, right? And our scale is really interesting. I haven't committed an axe murder. Therefore, I'm okay. But the truth of the matter is, we all have a dark side of our resume. This passage made the disciples and Peter in particular realize that we are flawed at the core. Later on in the book of Romans the apostle Paul is going to say it this way, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That three little three letter word all, here's the really technical meaning of it in the original Greek language of the New Testament. All means all. All means all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in verse 27, Jesus says, you will all fall away. Now, in this era of there's a new movie coming out every three seconds because all of the streaming services have to have their new movies out and there's this bombardment of films and TV shows and things that you can watch. There's so many, this is my problem, here's my problem. There's so much stuff out there that I can spend 45 minutes trying to find something to watch and realize it's now too late and I'm tired and I have to go to bed. That's my problem. But back in the day, back in the day it wasn't like that. Back in the day films came out and you saw that they were coming and you had to wait for them, you had to go to the movie theater to watch them with anticipation and you watched them and they set in and they had an impact and you remembered them and you talked about them. There was a movie like that that I saw once when I was a kid, it's called The Alamo. Did anybody ever see that movie, The Alamo? John Wayne. Yeah, The Alamo. Now, The Alamo is about, well, it's about The Alamo in San Antonio. And you can today go tour The Alamo, and when you get there and you tour it, you go, wow, this is a really small thing compared to what it looked like in the movie. But nonetheless, in 1836, the Texans were trying to throw off the rule of the Mexican government. And they had this battle encounter at the Alamo. And all of these people came from all over the country. And, uh, and under the leadership of Colonel Travis, who was played by Lawrence Harvey, John Wayne, who played uh, Jim Bowie, or Davy Crockett, I can't remember which one he played. Anyway... These guys all came together to to defend this little outpost, this little Spanish mission outpost, to slow down the army of Santa Ana, which was huge. So they get to this place, and there's this scene in the movie where Colonel Travis looks around, and they all know it's going to be a hopeless battle. And he looks around and he says to his soldiers, listen, and he takes his sword out and he draws a line in the sand, and he says, if you're willing to stay here with me and die to defend the Republic of Texas, I want you to step over the line. of course, in the movie, it's very dramatic, and one by one by one, they all step over the line until finally, all the soldiers are over here with Colonel Travis. Yes, we're going to defend the Alamo, and we're going to die Doing it. And that's exactly what happens. Well, here in this passage, Jesus draws a line in the sand and he says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, Even if all the rest of these clowns don't step over that line with you, Jesus, I'm going to do it. But Jesus says, No, you're not. Because Jesus is well. Familiar with the other side of our resumes. The truth is, Peter does not know himself as well as he thinks he does. The truth is, we all have this tendency to overestimate our capacity and overestimate and inflate the positive side of the resume. In verse 31, Peter says, I will never... And in the original language of the Bible, this is the strongest possible grammatical construction of, of denial. I absolutely will not ever desert you, Jesus. Even if these other people do. And I love that. Peter not only has an inflated estimation of his own capacity, he deflates the capacity of the guys he's been traveling with for three years. These people, they won't do it. But I'll do it this tendency to maximize ourselves and minimize others, this is not a tendency that only Peter had. It's a tendency that you and I have as well. Maybe you don't have it, but I know I have it. Sometimes I occupy a very me-centered universe where my filter for everything that transpires around me, they can be world events. I think, now how is this going to affect me? Maybe you don't have that trauma. But the thing is that Jesus knew Peter perfectly well. And Jesus knows us perfectly well. One of the superpowers that I love about Superman is his X-ray vision. I just wonder, though, sometimes if he had a hard time turning that off because sometimes if you used x-ray vision i'm sure you would see things you just did not want to see i'm sure you would see things that you wanted to unsee these days i don't know if superman updated his superpowers would it be mri vision would it be cat scan vision i don't know have you seen a cat scan film it's you can see right in there and jesus has this capacity With us, all of those things that we're going to keep from public view, Jesus knows them all. All those failures of deed and thought that we think are carefully tucked away and well hidden behind our facade of wonderfulness, Jesus knows them all. We've got all those things locked up, we think, in a safety deposit box in our brains, but Jesus has the key and he sees in there all the time. So, knowing this, about Jesus and knowing what he knows about the disciples here and Peter and us, what does he do? He does not throw his hands up and say, You know, you guys just are not worth it. You're fickle, you're inconsistent, your resume stinks. I'm just not going to do this. Nope. What's he do in verse 28? He continues on his mission to the cross. And even beyond that, in the middle of Jesus' acknowledgement of the other side of the resume, he says to them, even after your failures, gang, I'm going to meet you in resurrection power. And that's where Jesus meets me after my failures. And and what's really compelling to me about this passage is Jesus is right at the very edge of betrayal. Betrayal. It's not just the the classic uh, capital letter betrayal of Judas. It is the the, the lowercase letter betrayals of all these disciples. Because when Jesus gets arrested, they all vacate the scene as quickly as they can. But right then, even at the edge of our failures, Jesus meets us the same way he met these guys. I don't know if we can even comprehend the enormity of Jesus' willingness and his love and his graciousness and his mercy because Peter looks him in the eye and says, Boss, I will not bail on you. And Jesus looks him right back in the eye and says, Peter, yes, you will. But Jesus still chooses to go to the cross. So in light of all that, what should, what, what should be our... Response. I think one of the first things we should think about is that we should avoid this tendency we have sometimes towards isolation. You've all seen this before, right? You've been sitting around a fire, roaring fire, sparks flying up. Don't do it right now, there's a red flag warning. But I'm just saying the fire, and if you pull one of the burning sticks out of the fire and you pull it off to the side, it will burn for a little while by itself, but eventually what happens? It eventually it goes down to a little glow, and then eventually it just goes out. A little smoke puff rises. And that's you and I when we separate separate ourselves from the body of Christ, when we separate ourselves from this thing that the Bible calls fellowship. So the first thing is, I think, we should think about this call we have to be in this together. But here's where I think a more important thing is, and that is that we should not presume that we accomplish anything in our own strength. Now think about it. These guys following Jesus around, these guys are going to become the first leaders of the church. These guys are the ones to whom Jesus has already said to Peter, 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 here's the keys to the kingdom, Peter. And they need to see what you and I need to see is that we cannot do it on our own. We need the strength of Jesus to get the job done. And then I think there's another thing that flows from this passage, which is we need to be careful what we say because our talk is important. And when we say we, should, we are going to commit to something, we, we should be people who honor those commitments. Now, golf is a game I cannot get behind. Some of you may be avid golfers. I will pray for you. But for me, hitting a golf ball and then having to go fetch it, it just seems silly. I like a game like baseball. You hit the ball, you throw the ball, somebody throws it back to you. Makes more sense. But one of the things I know about golf is that if you're going to swing well in golf, if you're going to have a good golf swing, a key element is follow through, right? You can't just hit the golf ball and stop. Although if you did stop, you wouldn't have to go chase it, I suppose. You can't just hit the golf ball and stop. You have to swing through. You have to have follow-through. And that's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. We need to see that a key element of the Christian life is follow-through. What we say we're going to do, we should be people who do what we say we're going to do to honor the living Lord Jesus Christ. And then... The thing that I love about this passage, even though it's painful for me to look at the other side of the resume, is that we can relax in the care of the only one who really knows us. See, here's the thing. Sometimes with people, we hesitate to let them to get to know us because we think in our heads, if they really know who I really was, they're not going to like us at all. But Jesus already knows us. Positive side of the resume, negative side of the resume. He already knows all of us, and he still loves us. And he says to the disciples, even in the moment of the assessment of the bad side, the other side of the resume, I'm going to meet you in Galilee in resurrection power. It's going to be some tough days ahead, boys. But I'm with you. I'm in this with you. NASA. Space folks are talking about going back to the moon. You know that we've been to the moon, right? You're aware of that? Okay. They're talking about going back to the moon as a preparatory step for going to Mars. And again, speaking of movies, years ago they made this film about the original seven astronauts called The Right Stuff. Did you see that movie? If you didn't, you can see it on all those streaming services I talked about before. And I get no royalties for telling you that. But the movie, The Right Stuff, it it detailed the exhaustive physical and mental attributes required to be selected for that first U.S. space program. Alan Shepard, who was the first American in space, May 5th, 1961, he died in 1998. Shepard had the right stuff to make it in the space program. After his first suborbital flight, he went back to walk on the moon on Apollo 14 interesting to me shepherd reportedly hated the phrase the right stuff when we build our resumes when we interact with people we tend to prove that we have the right stuff the fact is that you and i we have buckets full of the wrong stuff just like peter in this passage We need to see that truth about ourselves and cling to the one who has only one side to his resume, Jesus, because then all things become possible. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus to meet us even in those moments of failure. Peter had his moments. We have our moments. You know those moments, Lord, and yet you still love us. You still went to the cross for us. So, Father, this morning, remind us of the power of forgiveness and love in Jesus, who sees the other side of the resume. We pray in his name. Amen.